Hello and welcome to So Farscape. A uh, fun-filled Farscape fancast by a fervent fan, a and, teary-eyed fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. <laughs> I'm Kaki. F- or, and I'm Kay. And this is the story, story So, so Farscape. Farscape. Oh, we finally got here. We're on, on season three, episode 15, Icarus Abides. And oh, Kay, yeah, I'm... Yes. I, I, I noticed that you're not being nearly as affected by it as, as I am, yeah. having watched it again. So, okay. I mean, you're, you've, you've got these clear, cold eyes as if you just don't care what, what just happened. We've got a spare John back at home. Oh, no! <laughs> oh. David Kemper would be so disappointed. Uh. Uh, because, like... In, in in various interviews, he he said like this whole season was about building up to to this to make yeah. sure that you were absolutely one hundred percent convinced that this is not a copy. He's not a you know yeah. he's not a split off. He is a real actual person because he couldn't die before then. Oh no, of course. But I mean, wow, you're so callow. You're just so yeah. casual about about <laughs> it. This is this is amazing. I'm just looking into your cold dead eyes like a doll's eyes or a I'm, shark's eyes. I, mean, I had no it, idea. It was. It was done very well, but it's kind of like, I mean, I've been predicting pretty much this happening for like several episodes now already. Yes, so. that's true. <laughs> that's true. And I, and I didn't like tease you into, into making another prediction next time. I wasn't, I wasn't going to fake you out last time because when this episode first rolled around, it, it caught a lot of us by surprise. But <clears throat> okay, the, the, the fandom was kind of split, mm-hmm. I think, three ways. Yes. Oh, good. Don't do tell. Let me see if I remember. I mean, there, there was a certain contingent that was fairly certain that, okay, so we're getting a, a black tea two-parter. Yeah, he's going to die. Aha, yes. Right? I can see that, yeah. For the reasons that you've stated. Yeah. We've built up this relationship between John and Aaron and this romance that everyone gets to enjoy, and now we're going to destroy it. Yes, because uh, we can't have happy main characters. Happy people don't make for good TV, as no. Joss Whedon said. But Joss Whedon turns out to have had certain predilections and issues, so maybe we Other shouldn't issues. take his, no, uh, totally. his word uh, for it. Also, you know... As the episode progresses, it becomes more and more clear that, yes, he's a goner, if only because of the wormhole information in his head being unlocked. Again, we ca- you can't have that because then he can work on actually getting home. Yeah, which becomes a much more real possibility over the course of the episode, and we'll get to that. Yeah. See, the two other camps were sort of one side figuring that this this sort of split of two Johns was so bold a move and so cool that they were nowhere near exhausting the potential of this and it would mm. be cool to have them both on the on the on the same ship after they'd had these very different experiences yeah and there was a contingent that figured it was green tea john that would that would die and that tragedy would sort of drive a wedge between this john and Aaron or perhaps that this John and Aaron would hit a rocky patch mm. and she might like you know yeah. real soap opera stuff Right. Apparently, the uh, Australians are renowned for this soap opera. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. I believe. Like, doesn't neighbors like have a significant incidence of like amnesia? Or I am I thinking n- about? I have no idea. I, I never no watched idea. any of that. The only my mum did, and they sort of blend together. The only Australian soap opera-ish type thing that I ever watched. Uh, it was Flying Doctors. Flying Doctors doesn't count as a soap opera. It's a medical procedural. <laughs> well, hardly. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm being generous. They are literally called doctors, though. I know, they are doctors, but like, it's not about the doctoring, other than the occasional Timmy fell down the well episode. Oh, okay. It's about the flying? It's about the people, I'd say. So in that case, it's more of, it does, it does count as a soap opera. 
I, get, I mean, soap operas were intended to, like, they were they were during the daytime, and this yeah. was in the very sexist True. era where... Um, jerkers. Uh, well, women uh, uh, were relegated to, right. to housework, and so, like, there were commercials for soap during the soap operas oh. geared at... Oh, that's Women. why they were called soap operas. Yeah, oh, literally okay. that. I didn't know that. Yeah, wild, I mean, right? I, I do know at one point that, like, for some reason, Flying Doctors was, like, super popular here in the Netherlands. And at one point, the cast was doing a little tour of, I think it was Europe or anything, of just, like, a huh. little meet and greet and stuff like that. And they were completely caught out and overwhelmed by the amount of people that came to see it. I mean, they'd been to Germany and a few other countries, and there'd been, right. been a little fan base, but for some reason in the Netherlands it had become like the super popular thing, and they were completely blown away by the amount of people that showed up to, uh, to the event. Yes. I wonder what the... I mean, Australia is a is a is still a popular like retirement destination. Yes. There's a fair number of Dutch people who have like relatives living in Australia, yeah. not necessarily Australian relatives. So what's it like... I don't know. I mean... There were there were just, just colonizers yeah. that went to Australia yeah. as well. Tasman, I mean, it was Able yeah, it was, a, was I mean, it was a, a, a popular post-war immigration destination. Uh, I know my parents were seriously considering it at one point. Oh, okay. So after Indonesia achieved its independence and still a desire to to live in that climate, I suppose I'm not sure. I mean, or just like um, get away from the Netherlands where it's going to be crowded and, and like the, the post-war restoration and like the whole new beginning start somewhere else. Yeah, the sort of frontier spirit. Right, that, yeah. Uh, well, Scorpius's would-be parents kind of try to Ooh, do yeah, in, that. in space Australia. Okay, wow. We really delved into it, it very quickly. We've got some some synopses. I've noticed that there aren't nearly as many synopses for this one. As no. The, this, which I can understand. There's less clever things to say about an episode like this, I suppose. Yeah, there's more of a struggle to ha-ha. Yeah. So don't worry about me. I've never felt better. Thank you, Jenna. Oh, wow. <laughs> um... Oh, the Derp Prime is even more. Let me see if I can do this correctly. Oh, oh no! Thank you, the Derp Prime. I hope I hope I did justice to your performance. And Matthew there. B keeps it even shorter. Chernobyl. Wow. <laughs> a bit of a bit of a like brief summary there. I've actually been to Chernobyl. Oh yes. When it's hmm, yeah, consider it, it's it's under it's better got, circumstances. Yes. Under, yes. Which is a weird thing to say about, <laughs> about Chernobyl, yeah. And thought that that would come back in, in the way it has. Let's hope it doesn't. Yes. Gosh, yes. Quickly, moving on. Furlow asks the truly important questions in life in the series' most Mad Max episode yet. John does the impossible feat of rendering Stark speechless. But at what cost? You don't think they named the season just on the basis of the first few episodes, did, did you? Thank you, Horsebird. Uh, uh, yes, because... As you know, the first episode of this season was Season of Death. Right. Yeah. And we lost Zan, and now we've lost John. A John. Fun show, this. Yeah, hilarious. Okay, hit it. Prepare to stop him. Yeah, we start with a quick little recap. Previously on Farscape. About the, the history of the show, mostly about what happened in the previous episode. And then it's more uh, shooting. No way, town. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the shooting oh, is still part of the, the, yeah. the preview showing how, uh, how Rigel wound up injured, but not quite so injured. And in particular, no, how... that, that's a plot line that really didn't go anywhere, is it? Is it? Yeah, I mean, he's injured. And he decides to soldier on because all he needs is food. Yeah, and then he keeps shooting and there's a little bit more shooting and he apparently does enough to keep them, uh, the Charons at bay from doing a massive invasion. But Rigel barely features in this uh, whole uh, episode. Yes. Like, his, his moment of heroism, like deciding to soldier on despite... Like even, even Aaron offers to relieve him uh, so that he can go yeah. and, and, and get treatment. And he goes like, whatever. no, no, you're still mobile. I'm not just... 
Bring me food. You want to eat now? Bring me food, and I'll keep going. Despite being injured, but um, yes, then it's back to the struggle which had come out with Scorpius on top. Yes. Uh, uh, which is also like, you know, someone was, was just me feeding him that. What's that stuff called again that makes your appearance change to everybody else? I mean, I know, oh, I know that. I, I, yes. I know they're yes. just using it for a, uh, <laughs> a cinematic effect that they show John in. Because he. He's Scorpius again. Yes, but he gets the complete black outfit, including the uh, the pauldrons and, or whatever it is. The Yeah, that snakeskin outfit that. Yep. I mean, they must have made a duplicate to fit Ben Browder's muscular frame. Cause I guess, yeah. Wayne Pygram is a, is a slender man like mm. myself, and that's kind of why he got that silhouette. The only major differences is he doesn't get uh, the teeth. No. Scorpius's bad teeth. Uh, then as be- but then it became too difficult to tell them apart, wasn't it? Yeah, and therefore also the black lipstick. So he, yeah. he, keeps, his, uh, he keeps his pretty smile, which makes it so much more threatening. But he gets the cheekbones and the, the everything yeah. else and the uh, chin strap. Now, it's interesting that you say that it's a, it's a cinematic effect because, yes, absolutely, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. But when Aaron is about to shoot him yeah. to save John from having to live on as this monstrous figure and oh, Jorpius does a great job of, or, or I suppose Harvey, yeah. uh, of taunting her with this, letting this body go to waste. and Oh, yeah, oh, making, oh, putting some nasty moves on her. Really creepy. It's Jack who stops her. Okay. Thank you, Daddy. Look at him. The clone is dying. He wants you to shoot him. So John dies too. As if he can visually see the the neural clone, right? Yes. So as if this appearance that he has is some sort of aura that the neural clone has that he can detect. Okay, well, it makes sense because he can detect incoming solar flares and all that. So it makes sense that he has a different uh, sensorial spectrum than uh, peacekeepers or humans have. But yeah, he stops her from shooting John and then John goes like, hey, here's Johnny. Hey, baby, he's gone. He's finally gone. It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, he hasn't had any crackers in a while. (laughs) But it is a moment of elation. Yes, because he's like, oh, I'm all fa- fine. Like, Harvey's gone. I feel fantastic. It's like losing a pain that you didn't realize you've been having for a long time. Yeah. And yes, lots more tender little moments between uh, John and Aaron. Yeah, they the entire can't episode. keep their hands no, off No, they're back to, back to pawing and uh, <laughs> rutting teenagers. Uh, That's how we like to see them. Things on Talon are not going that well. Forget the comms. Run a check on all airlocks and docking bays. What for? Damage, malfunction, anything. Because apparently a Scarron stealth capsule has uh, made its way uh, on board. Very good. At least I assume it's that because we never see it and Talon's never detected it. And it's mentioned later that this is a tactic that they employ uh, ahead of the dreadnoughts. And a lone Scarron has made its way on board Talon. We also discovered that Talon has two docking bays. Yeah. Oh, yes. Maybe he's grown a second one in the meantime. Maybe, well, the other one's just dropped. Maybe it's they've descended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun times. Yeah, they've got a Scarron aboard Talon, who, I mean, Krace is incapacitated. Stark is, well, Stark. Yes. Uh, so they don't stand much of a chance. We cut to the credits and come back to uh, find John and Aaron still lovey-dovey and Furlough still scouring her compound for the components that Jack wants. And he's very critical. Is that all you can find? Yeah. I could only 
could only find... Uh, I've had to search half the compound for these. Oh, and go search the other half, is what Aaron archically mentions. <laughs> yes, while, while sort of ear nibbling, they, they really can't keep their hands off of each other. And in front of Dad. What yeah. a cool dad. That he just, well, he's not his real dad. Isn't, I mean, I know he isn't, but there's a real sort of paternal energy oh, throughout absolutely. this episode. Yeah. As, they're, as they're working on this module together. Um, oh, yeah. It's like father and son uh, working on the, the, the kit car in the, in the yeah. garage. Yes. I mean, that was even one of the synopses from the, the last episode by, uh, by someone who probably, like me, couldn't help but sort of blend these, no, uh, these stories together. I get that. Yeah. So, a little bit of shooting outside showing that Rigel still isn't dead and we haven't entirely forgotten about him before it's back to Tallinn where the Scarron is interrogating uh, Crace. Well, Crace, yeah. yes, trying to, like, uh, who are you? What are you What yeah. are you doing here? He's here in an intelligence-gathering mission before the Dreadnought arrives, very wise. A little bit of blah-blah about uh, his peacekeeper rank and everything and it takes... Uh, Stark to convince him that no, no, in fact he's a privateer and he used to be a peacekeeper, and uh, yes, now he's uh, he stole this ship because Crace apparently he's had some training. Like what he says is true. I am not a peacekeeper, and he sticks to that. I have no rank. Yeah, but it's inadequate to satisfy the Scarron. Yeah, but Stark. What he says is also true, except he says way too much and out of context. He says that he's a he's a bannock slave and that he hates Crace, which. None of that's a lie. Either, no. Yeah. I, I got the feeling that he is more saying it to get the Scarron off Grace's back. I'm a Bannock slave, his slave, and I hate him. He brought me on board the ship to help him fix it. Kill him and make me your slave. Kill him. And he's like, yeah, he really jumps back into that subservient that role that he occasionally affects. Because I don't, th- I don't think it's for real. He's just playing at that. Because he, yes. immediately, the moment the Scarron turns his back, he goes like, "Okay, yeah, sorry, I had to tell him that." But uh, he, uh, he basically explains to Cra- to Crace that he's like, "No, he hasn't actually gone that way, and he's just uh, doing his own tactics." Crace appreciates that yes. strategy. I had to tell him; he would have forced it out of you anyway. You did well. He's getting a lot of respect for Stark, amazingly. Back on the planet, okay, let's deal with a few of these plot lines separately. Yeah. Uh, for as much as we can, because otherwise we're going to... They cut back and forth a, a lot, bunch of times. yes. <clears throat> okay, so Rigel first. He doesn't do anything. He Basically, he sits, he shoots a little bit. Aaron goes to visit him once or twice, just Notices for a little... Notices the second time that there's so many chariots, and that it's really confusing why they aren't charging, because yeah. that would be optimal. I uh, think so. That's also not really resolved, is it? Well, this is around the time that we realize something is up with furlough. Because let's follow right. her thread for a bit. Yes. Um, she's grumpily providing these components for Jack. And when Jack sends John and Aaron away for the final uh, assembly, which is going to cause quite a bit of radiation that he doesn't want them to be exposed to, yeah. she turns out to have her own agenda. Right. She is still trying to monetize this. Yeah. She wants, like, money, 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 money. And she's a bit in cahoots with the, with the charids. Yes. Like, She's she's hired them. They were maybe brokering on her behalf a deal with the Scarons. They turned on her, tortured her, but she's still willing to follow the money. And, yeah, get this to them. I think she even mentioned that they killed the rest of her crew. I don't think that was on her behalf. No, probably not. Yeah, so she's got mixed feelings about them. Right, but she does eventually go towards them. And, uh, yeah, she definitely wants to... Once Jack explains that the device is a one-shot thing that will self-destruct after it's been uh, an hour hour and 15 minutes after it's been uh, 
used. Uh, well, go on. I'm about to start the reactor. I can't let you do that, Jack. Back off. This is the only chance we have to keep the Scarens from... From paying me a lot of money. Now, you ain't going nowhere. <laughs> then she goes like, oh, well, in that case, we're not having any of that. She draws her gun. Yeah. Threatens Jack, who, who like, Just can't l- imagine... Laughs it off. Would, yeah. yeah. Turns around and... Shoots him in the back. Yeah. The Elim Garrick School of Marksmanship. Elim Garrick? Oh, he's from he's from Deep Space Nine. He's the, oh, uh, the Cardassian yes. spy. Yes, 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 yes. Who at one point shoots one of uh, another Cardassian in the back to save uh, to save the the, the DS Nine crew. And they go, mm. "You shot him in the back," and he explained, "Yes, I found that's the safest way." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I mean he's not wrong. <laughs> um. Yes, uh, she, her betrayal doesn't uh, allow her to reap many benefits for long. She whistles and summons the Charids, who rappel down from the ceiling. Yes, been... even though they came in through the sewer, although this, this base is quite low, I think. But it's well, kinda... that's just what she says. Right. Because they rappel down, she offers them another deal, they turn on her again, double backstab. Yes. Who saw that coming? I was kind of wondering how long, if they'd been there for a long time, or if they'd just been hiding there or not. Right. And if she knew, or if they'd riddled, she whistled them, so clearly she knew that they were there. But then again, she'd been like wandering off uh, looking for components, so she might have encountered them and brokered this deal off screen. Oh, yeah, very good. But they're no longer interested in, no. in using her at all. They're more than happy to just grab the device and uh, make off with it. But she's still got this gun, see? And yep. she is trained well at the Elam Garrick School of Marksmanship. And she, <laughs> she still manages to shoot them and then convince John and Aaron, yeah, they snuck up on me. I don't know what happened. They got, they they got, got jacked, jacked though. Oh. Oh, no. What a, what a sleaze. I mean, I was really, really into furlough. Yes, and it, then it turns out that she has her own motivations. And Very she's selfish to, ones. Exactly. Kill, and she's willing to kill people for it. She literally says that. For love. Is it always about the money? Is there anything else? I mean, how much sex can you have? I don't know. I haven't maxed out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. There are... Okay, I think that's about as far as we should follow furlough for now. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not a lot more. I I know, but let's, let's follow the... The John and Aaron and Jack, or it's particular John and uh, John and Jack, because John asks Ancient Jack to unlock the knowledge in his head. Right. He goes like, "Yeah, I already have." And there's uh, a really cute exchange that goes on about that, and it's like, yeah. "Oh, I don't feel any different." Yeah, it takes time. And then your mind uh, couldn't process all that information at once. So yeah. It's gonna... And then as they are working on the device, Jack keeps asking him things, and then only slowly making him realize that he didn't have that knowledge uh, before. Yeah, like, why did you why did you give me this one? It's perfect. I figure you could modify the Rillen valve. I can. But how did you know that? That's cool. Yes. It means that knowledge is completely, deeply ingrained into someone and not just a chunk of data which still needs to be accessed. Yeah, because that's... As a child, as I was learning about various new technologies and science fiction concepts of having information uploaded into your brain and yeah. how much cooler that would be than school. But when I access a piece of information or use a language or whatever, it's it's tied to the sort of memories of learning it. Okay. Right? I, I don't know if you have this, but for a lot of information, I remember 
sort of when I learned it. Right. Or at least the circumstances, mm. right? Certain words that I know I didn't learn from school, but I learned from my family in the, 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 the banlieues of Paris. Okay, yeah. Hmm. Just me, then? No, I don't experience it that way, I suppose. I mean, well, you're exercising one of your many, many skills, for instance. Yeah. Baking, cheese making. It, it, uh, in, in, in a way, yes, sometimes I do. Uh, it depends a little bit on how much, how ingrained that knowledge is. Like, especially in the earlier stages, you're like looking back and thinking back to, okay, I remember this yeah. little trick with the potato for making mashed potatoes I learned from Heston Blumenthal. Or, uh, Which is? You can't leave us. Oh, it's like if you want to make mashed potatoes, you have to. I mean, you don't have to. But first first of all, you use starchy potatoes, not floury ones. Right. And secondly, you, you kind of do a pre-cook on them. You, you, you pre-cook them at 72 degrees for uh, about half an hour. It solidifies the, uh, the starches and it stops the uh, mashed potato from going gloopy. But then you still have to, then you have to like rinse them off with cold water and then you still have to boil them for another 20 to 30 minutes. Because then the boiling actually takes longer than it does if you just drop them straight in. Whoa. Which is weird. Yeah, you'd huh. think that like, oh yeah, they've been pre-boiling for half an hour, so the boil is going to be quicker. No, it's not. It still takes the same amount of time to bo- actually actually boil them. So you do remember, like the right. origin. I mean, of I do, this, but right? like the more the, the like the more uh, ingrained knowledge becomes, then yes, I don't remember where I learned particular things. It's right, fair enough. But yeah, so it must be really weird to have knowledge where you know that you never learned it. Yes. So you don't know how to access it. Yeah. Because you hear a problem, you know, especially when it comes to like science or math or whatever. Like you hear a problem. If, is that a problem that I knew how to solve once? Then the problem sounds familiar. But yeah. to hear an unfamiliar problem, and how does it feel to to sort of discover that you have an answer to an unfamiliar? And question? that's exactly what happens with John later on after uh, Jack is dead and he has to work on the device. He goes like, "Well, I have no idea. I've never done this before." And then he just look, goes and walks over to the device, and then he looks at it and he goes like, "Oh, hang on, I can figure it out." Yeah. Uh, and he goes like, "I know what it's for." And because what they're working on is called a displacement engine, and it's yeah. some type of wormhole device. And Jack doesn't give a lot of details, but they need this so that they can destroy the, the Scarron Dreadnought that's yeah. approaching. It's kind of left in the dark if it's a bomb or if, if, it's, if it's a weapon or what it is, or if they're going to like have someone has to do, go do a suicide run on the Dreadnought. What were you thinking? Ooh. So those options, clearly, had occurred to you. Right, yes. I don't think I had a particular one in my head that I thought was the, the, the framed one. At first, I thought it was bomb mm-hmm. weapon. Cause yeah, seemed... he did ask for fissile material. Right, yeah. yeah. But the, the, the more it, it, it went on, it turned out to be something else, a wormhole generator. And when, yeah, yeah the moment, basically the moment the whole wormhole thing started, I kind of... Exactly happened what I thought was going would be would be happening. Oh, very good! I like either sun or maybe make a wormhole to a black hole or something. That that kind of played out. There, there was little surprise for me in that. I mean, it was gorgeously done. But uh, now, yeah, to me, this concept was a, was a surprise. I'd never thought of wormholes as anything other than a means of voluntary travel. Mm. But this, like, this displacement, literally displacing something from somewhere to somewhere. Yeah, like the core of a sun. The, or the coronal mass or whatever, yeah. onto a spacecraft. That hadn't occurred to me before. But you're much better versed in science fiction. Like, is this a concept that you've encountered before? Oh, no, not in that regard. I don't, don't think so. I mean, once you're thinking with portals, then something like this is a very... <laughs> yeah, it's a fairly... I mean, I've, in, in other uh, settings, uh, 
tabletop role-playing games and stuff when portals have been involved, there's like, yeah, this, it's really easy. Once you can do make a portal, yeah, you make it high, like 10, 20 kilometers up high in the sky and you suck someone out and they either die from association or they drop down back onto the ground. Yeah. Or if you want to, like, you can make it a few kilometers underwater and then you suddenly have a very high-power water jet, which is also quite useful. It, it, yeah. So that's like, you know, <laughs> pull that into space and yeah, you can get, get some solar mass ejected out through it. I mean, you make a you make a tiny one, you've essentially got a water blade, yeah. like those high pressure exactly. cutting yeah. devices. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> you can get some, some very nasty things when, once you have access to portal technology. Okay. Does gravity work on the other side of a portal? So ah. yeah, you have a Looney Tunes style yeah, yeah. portal, right? And of course... Gravity works through the sort of visible side. They've got to have like a visible side and a non-visible side if yeah. it's one of those two-dimensional ones. But does that occlude the force of gravity? If I'm standing above a, a giant portal facing down and yeah. I'm, on the, I'm on the top side, yeah. do I experience gravity from the planet beneath me? Ah, that's, Because that gravity yeah. is now exercised upon whatever it is through the portal Yeah, on the, on the, on the sort of other side. But I mean, that... That depends on your defi- the definition of your magic. That's like what yes, is, what exactly. are what are your magic rules? That's basically what's the uh, yeah. Because even the idea that the that the sort of interface would be a plane rather than a sphere yeah is kind of weird. Weird, yeah, absolutely. It would be three dimensional. And you can yeah. What's it look like from the other side? What happens if yeah? For instance, if you have those two portals on top of each other and you put a rock in there, it's an interesting debate. You get a problem either way. Either yes, gravity works and the rock will keep permanently accelerating, or no, gravity doesn't work, and then you you have you've got a way to make things float. Yes. Either way, so, you've yeah. got infinite acceleration, <laughs> or yeah, anti gravity. Yeah, there's like <laughs> multiple ways. Yeah, like there are tricky things to handle as a DM <laughs> <laughs> or a screenwriter, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, this was the moment where <clears throat> where I started to really realize how much more powerful wormholes, the wormhole like weaponry was than than we'd realized. Because yeah, mm. the ability to move your army to to a planet and retreat is an incredible advantage. Like yes. you can you can have one giant army and just move that from location to location and your adversary has to defend all of them. And you can choose which one to attack and then you can teleport your entire army to the next one. Or yeah. to a spa for a few days and oh. just have them yeah. wash up and relax and come at the next one refreshed and your adversary has no idea where they can be. Yep. So, yes, now we've now we've given away the clue of the episode. <laughs> Absolutely no one no one should watch should listen to these episodes without having seen no, the, the episode in question. Come on, that's the I love how every time that the dreadnought is mentioned. Actually, you mentioned that when uh, there was finally a new shot of the dreadnought yes. at the end. We're actually introduced to a new shot of the dreadnought during the previously on segment. Oh, okay. Because that introduces this sort of blue-purple nebula mm-hmm. that we actually hadn't seen in the previous episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, there, there, there's this one shot from the back with a few of the ships like zooming past it, and that's like, yeah, they use that two or three times, I noticed that. To uh, good effect, I thought. Oh, like yeah, it's a, totally. It's, a, it's but, a really interesting design with this this sort of squat sphere. It's like a satsuma on the front with some eye holes and these four sort of braces on either side, and yet tiny fighters flying alongside for scale. So let me think for a moment where to pick this up again. After John and Jack have their little exchange and then Jack is murdered by furlough, 
Uh, for a moment there, I thought like that we might see Jack coming back again because he's like not a normal human creature, especially in, in how confident he was in turning his back on Furlough. Right. That I fig- kind of figured that oh, there might be a like, oh yeah, well you can't just keep me down. I'm like a half, en- I'm half energy being anyway. Right. Something like that. But uh, it was a really touching moment where John comforts him as he's mm-hmm. uh, as he's dying, like assures him even yeah. even though Jack's unable to speak that he'll finish it and he'll make sure it's destroyed. Like just reassuring him that that what needs to be done will be finished so that he can die in peace and he transforms back into his natural shape. Yes, he goes back to his real body. Uh, God, I hate furlough. (laughs) That was low. That was really low. Yeah, that was low. But she tries to make a run for it. John hears um, an engine running, which is furlough in uh, her June buggy. Yeah. She's done her best to try and convince him to go to go with her. How many other people have this weapon? No one. That's right. Getting the idea? The loosening capacitor. See, uh, we can sell it to everyone as deterrence, give it to no one, and charge them to maintain the balance. Or, of course, we could just keep it ourselves and find a peaceful application. <sighs> She's offered him alternatives. You know, we can sell it to everyone, so you'll just have mutually assured destruction, because that works great. Yeah, or we sell it to no one, or... And people will pay us not to to sell it to the... To someone else, yes. Which, okay, that's terrible, but... Better. (laughs) Or, and she's really pandering him to him now, we can keep it ourselves and find some peaceful way to use it. Yeah. Yeah, bullshit. (laughs) You could, like, make in a shipping company, like, you can basically out bit anybody on anything. That's not what she's thinking. No, about. no, of she's course not. She's all about the quick Oh, of buck. course not. She's yeah. not about the franchise. <laughs> no, there's that. Plus then you would have that like That would be Rigel. Oh, yes. Shipping yes. Empire. Yes, that'll be it. That sounds about it. You, you could probably convince Rigel that that was a good idea. But yeah, she makes him throw his gun away, uh, crush his goggles, which is a bit weird, but... Well, because she's going to use the next solar flare yeah. as cover. And so she wants to make sure that he has no ability to follow her through that cover. Right. Oh, that, okay, because that was just, it's just a brief flare. Because, I mean, later on, John is outside running around without goggles, and that's fine. But it, I yeah. kind of missed the fact that there was the, the solar flare was the relevant part in that. I thought that they had to go outside, and then they always had to wear those goggles there. Yeah, it's protection specifically for the... Yeah, okay. She's got enough. a cool buggy that she's loaded the displacement engine onto. Mm-hmm. I love that. They're just some Mad Max shit, and oh, I just totally love is. it. Yeah. They had so much fun on these because this leads to a chase sequence, right? Mm-hmm. Because Aaron's out with Rigel, resupplying him with ammo and Food. Snickers bars, I yeah. guess. And sees, like, as she's questioning why aren't the chariots attacking, oh, that's why. Uh, Furlough is making a run for it, and there's his second buggy coming after it. Or, uh, she's, or, she's, she's John re- uh, running to the other buggy, which is parked under an awning or of sorts. They get in and start running off. They had so much fun. Like, Claudia Black called this, like, the most fun she's had in her entire acting career. Oh, wow. I can imagine. I mean... Screaming through the dunes at 100 kilometers an hour, unsecured. She had to stand up. Oh, yes, of course. Actually, the challenge also managed to get a a buggy of sorts. Yep. Because there's, like, a little bit of a, yeah, Mad Max-style fighting going on. Such a cool chase sequence. Apparently, Ben Browder has some experience with rally cars. Oh, okay. That gave her a lot of reassurance, standing upright. Yeah, she gets out, uh, he gives her a butt smack, and she jumps off. (laughs) I'm not quite sure. What's the thing that she throws out there? She throws throws some sort of... Right, because their buggy is the only one that doesn't have a working gun. You'll never guess! It doesn't work? Uh How the hell can we have the only gun on 
And so she throws a mine or a grenade. Oh. And then she rolls off and she sort of plays chicken with the, with the chariot driver until he charges at her and she shoots the, uh, right. uh, the mine. Right, that was it. Okay, yeah. That's why the buggy explodes. Yeah. And then she approaches him as he's crawling out. And this is... It's, it's technically an unnecessary moment in the episode. Uh-huh. But I thought it was brilliant in showing the growth that Aaron's experienced. Because she's sort of mumbling to himself, like, don't reach for the gun. Yeah. Just run away. Be smart. Just run away. But no, he does go for the gun, and so she ends up shooting him. Season one, Aaron would have just shot him immediately. Yes. Because right? that would probably be doctrine. And, oh, the last thing that she says before, before jumping out is that, you know, let's get this done, and then we'll go to Earth. Yes, because she is definitely on board with going to Earth with him. Once again, showing like the, the, the emotional maturity that she's reached, that she's able to recognize about herself. She's able to ask herself whether she wants this and find an answer. That's enormous. She wasn't able to do that back in uh, a human reaction. Mm-hmm. She wasn't even able to admit to herself or anyone how she felt about Crichton wanting to leave. Yeah. She's come so far. <sighs> yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but okay. I, on re-watching it, I felt that this was much less John's episode than it was than it was Aaron's. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Well, I mean, I remember feeling that this was this was all about John when I first saw this, and I'm sure that that was your experience as well because it's an enormous like opportunity for an actor and for a character to die mm. and to complete their character arc and show how complete that is because that that leaves you with this lingering idea that everything that he's achieved, the other John hasn't. The other John yes. still has Scorpius and still has this obsession and longs for Aaron. He doesn't have any of this. No, that's probably going to be enough for a few episodes where it's a friction between John and Aaron. Cold eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs> the eyes of a shark. It's so... You, you have a lump of coal instead of a heart. I'm, is... I, I think I might be a little, getting a little bit too genre-savvy here. That's... <laughs> it happens to us all. And even with Farscape, for all its novelty, we're kind of wise to their act now. Mm. Right, we we know what it's going to do to us. So, John rides off after furlough. Yeah, and Aaron uh, goes and catch up with them, flips the buggy back over, and uh, sets on after them. Yeah, I love that she does exactly the thing that you do to like an upside down buggy, wiggle it back and forth on its roll cage. Yep, just swing it back and forth until it flips up and then flip onto it its back. wheels. Yes. John, in the meantime, manages to take out Furlough by shooting her with his uh, gun. Yeah. At least uh, the, the, the buggy. That Good buggy aim. also rolls over. Uh, the displacement engine falls out, and there's a standoff between Furlough and Crichton. Yep. Furlough, look. The device. It's active. You can't shut it off. By the time you get it to the Scarens, it'll be useless. It'll be slag. Which he resolves by telling her, hey, look over there. The device has been activated. Yeah. It's going to melt down in an hour and a half anyway. You're never going to have time to sell it to the... uh... Yep. Not going to happen. Sorry. But even now, she still wants John with her. Like, that part wasn't wasn't faked. She's still convincing him to walk away and come with me. Because she tries to be, always to be the one who walks away while the hero dies. Yes. I mean, that's kind of like the doctrine about not uh, dying for your country, but making the other bastard die for his. And John is left with this 
partially opened device that's emitting these irregular blue flashes. Mm. Did you did you sort of grok what this what this was? Like, did you did? Well, I mean, I know what uh, Cherenkov radiation looks like. Uh, I hope not from personal experience. No, well, Jeeves uh, uh, or videos, but yes, uh, very very few people have seen those blue flashes and lived. Oh, actually, you can see them in a. Uh, you can see Cherenkov radiation in a in an active nuclear reactor. Uh, oh, through the cooling water, right? Yeah. If right, you just because look, if you look down at the top of a, a nuclear reactor in operation, then especially when it starts up, there's this, like this big blue flash, and uh, that's not like that's not dangerous. It's not the blue light that's dangerous. It's what's causing the blue light that's dangerous. Yes, and, because if I recall, that is those are the photons that are emitted when oh shit no, what particle is it that does it? It's basically basically the visual equivalent of a sonic boom. It's what happens when a particle. Exceeds, photon, right? Yes. Uh, my, my, no, I think it might be an X-ray. It doesn't have to. Well, those are kind those of are photons. photons. Well, yeah. When they exceed the speed of light in that in the medium they're traveling through, so, or rather, when they're traveling at the speed of light and then transition to a medium where the speed of light is lower. Right. Yes. And therefore, they have to slow down. And they have yeah, to that's why I said energy. the speed of light in that in in that medium. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if it, the, the, those things come off as let's say they come off at light speed from the from the core when they're still in going, vacuum, and then they hit water, and the water the, the speed of light is slower, and therefore that energy needs to go somewhere, and that gets and that knocks uh, knocks electrons into a higher state, and that causes yeah, them to emit light. Yeah, but here's here's where I'm a little bit confused. Yeah. So it's a photon that does this. Does a second photon split off it? Uh, well, I, they're not. They might be alpha particles or other things, not exactly photons. They couldn't reach light speed, could they? Alpha yeah, particles have mass. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to look up the details, but it's something along those lines. Physics shit is so yeah. cool. Sorry, I'm trying to distract myself from the emotional, emotionally crippling events that are about to take place with physics and join you at your plane of heartless detachment for right. just a little well, moment. Okay, so I didn't actually think that this was uh, what did John in. I kind of figured it was like the, uh, the radiation effects of what happened around the wormhole. But ah. that was... Uh, oh, okay. That was, what I, uh, that was how I was looking at the whole thing. Oh well, then uh, yeah. like take a look at the at the, at the Jeeves because no, I get it. He's very carefully timing his approach yeah. to flip this lid shut in between those flashes. Now, why he doesn't just walk around the other side and flip it from the shielded yeah. side? That has been debated among Farscape fans, the way that Titanic fans <laughs> debate whether there was enough room for Leonardo DiCaprio on, on that, that raft. raft yeah. And there totally was. Yes. <laughs> um, no, that's a good point. But there's. It is one of the rare instances where the sort of cheap slow motion of just slowing the frame rate yeah. is actually warranted because you actually get to see he takes a full blast in the in the face and chest and, yeah, yeah. and hands. It's just bad timing. Yes. Right? Our, our hero dies because of bad timing, and that's such a tragedy. Yeah. He kneels there, and he, he knows. Right? Yeah, yeah, he knows he's been had. He's, uh, what's it called, the, the walking ghost? Oh. Phase of, of radiation sickness, where which yeah. has... Initially, no symptoms. Yeah. Right? Even even major exposure takes minutes or hours before even the uh, the rashes start. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, you're basically walking dead, yeah. Dead man walking, I'm sorry, is the phrase that we're looking for. What was the the name of the gentleman who uh, experienced this for the first time? The uh, Ooh, Working on the demon I core. I don't remember. Because actually, yeah. I was even reminded of that when Jack was moving the partanium over it. That was yeah. also a, it looked like a sphere, just like, the, and it had a sort of slit down the middle, like the demon core, as it was known. Yeah, and it had the, blo- it had the, the, the blue glow already, which the core wouldn't have had, but. Yeah, it might have been and just also that slit, also that slit that you're talking about, like what, what people think is the, 
the core is not actually the core. The actual pit is only about fist-sized. Okay. Uh, that that half sphere you're seeing is the neutron moderator that he was holding open with his screwdriver. Yes, because uh, for the, the yeah. listeners at home, like this is a famous thing during the Manhattan Project, there was a, a nuclear reaction mass with uh, a, a neutron moderator sphere just yeah. in a lab that they were studying, and yeah, he had a screwdriver to hold the two halves open to keep the thing from going supercritical. Knocked something over, screwdriver fell out. Yeah, screwdriver slipped. Basically, the the, the top half of the neutron moderator sphere fell down on top of the bottom one. Uh, and yeah, the whole thing started going prompt critical. And this gentleman, whose name now escapes me, reached over and lifted it off. Yeah, like uh, rendering it safe for now. Yeah. Uh, and I, rem- I remember once seeing like a dramatic recreation. I think it was fictional, where he told everyone that it was in the room to freeze, and then grabbed some chalks off a nearby chalkboard and like just mark down where you're standing and yeah. write your name down there. Uh, because this this person, he he even refused like treatment or pain medication. Mm. as he was dying of radiation sickness. Yeah, it took him about two weeks, I believe. A horrific sacrifice for science, but he wanted some kind of treatment protocol to be established with his symptoms, his his objective symptoms as a baseline. Yeah. Truly, truly heroic. Yeah. Okay, so now that John has been uh, had the, the Even radiation... Even that doesn't melt your heart, does it? You're just oh, ice today. Uh, ah. Maybe I'm, it's a defense mechanism. I guess, <laughs> I guess. Let's go with that. It's, it's, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> So, meanwhile, on Talon, the plan is afoot to get rid of the Scarron. Yeah. Talon, uh, the Scarron comes walking onto uh, command and goes like, there's no pilot. And Stark goes like, oh, but yeah, this ship doesn't need a pilot. It's controlled through neural interface. See, Crace yeah. uh, has one, although his one's broken. And the Scarron says, oh, make me one. You will have the ship. Make one for me. Yes, yes. Whatever you say. That is a dead-on impersonation of the Scarron. I'm really, really <laughs> impressed. <laughs> uh, and Crace uh, goes like, make him two, make two. Yeah, because he's got a cunning plan. Because we've talked before, like, it takes a lot to take a Scarron down. Yes. A pulse blast won't do it. They Even without weapons, they have that whatever it is, a ray that they can beam out of their hands. They're not easy to take down. So this strategy, which turns out to be brilliant is to knock him out, essentially incapacitate him with the overwhelming surge of experience when the, uh, when the hand of friendship is attached. Yes. And use that moment to, to blast him to smithereens. Right, which I still don't understand why, you know, that wasn't being done before. He could have any time given the command to, like, talent shoot him. But I think that the Scarron would have survived long enough and been mobile enough to grab mm. the two of them and kill them or mm. hold them hostage. Maybe, or, maybe. Uh, make it out of the room. Yeah, maybe, but Not yes. an easy thing to kill a Scarron. No, no, it takes him a prolonged burst of fire from Talon's uh, defense turrets to uh, take him out. Got four of them. They're, they're handy things that they're getting a lot of mileage out of. Yes. I mean, I'm sure the prop department was happy that they actually got used for a change, uh, <laughs> properly for a change. Uh, yeah, because usually we only see them, like, the close-up of them being deployed. With yes, the, uh, and that's, uh, I, mean, that, I mean, they're a good deterrent in that regard. John's in the, in the module. Yeah, uh, which is once again Furlow's fake module, yeah. which she even bothered to re- to replace the Ayasa decals. Yes, uh, how cool is that? What I did notice is like those two spikes on the front. I don't remember those being there before. Mm. It looks a bit like they're like antenna or guns or something like that. And in the reproduction of the module, at this point, it already had Moya components in it, didn't it? 
Yes, it so was. Philo able to copy those as well? I suppose she was. Yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking about the timeline because yeah, I think at the start of Till the Blood Runs Clear, that's when he'd just been upgrading Moya Fastgate One yeah. with uh, with Moya components. Yes, that's why Aaron was co-piloting with him. Yes, they were working on that. Yeah, so that's when he had those spikes on the front. They're propulsors, I think they're called. Okay. Part of the uh, yeah. the, the Moya-based propulsion Moya based propulsion system. Moya thrusters, I suppose. I guess. I mean, she's a scrounger and a mechanic. She'd be able to put in an order for some uh, Leviathan, Leviathan components. Yeah, or well, buy a second-hand I mean, transport. Well, that's pod. interesting. I mean, because I assume, I'd assume that like Leviathans just grow spare parts. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or, or you could scrounge a, a second-hand transport pod from a passing Leviathan. Or- yeah. As we have right at the end of the episode, apparently uh, Talon has emergency medical supplies. Does An emergency he, kit. Yeah. yeah. Does he also grow those, or did he pick that up somewhere? It's like... He must... That's he, a good point. He must grow those, yeah. Or he must have... Chris must have picked them up somewhere in, in the period of time that he was flying around, gallivanting around the galaxy with Talon. I think you're onto something, though. He literally calls it Talon's emergency no, kit. No, exactly, yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Useful, useful boy, that. So he's got some <laughs> many useful glands. Useful boy, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. The module launches and uh, oh come on, we have to have, you have to have the, the scene between Aaron and John first. Oh my when, god! When yes, the, you're right. <laughs> it's it's Captain Coldheart who drags me back to the oceans <laughs> when they're arguing about who's supposed to do the flying. Yeah, and uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful. And he moment. knows that uh, he's a goner, and he hasn't really told her yet. This is one of those situations where apparently, without doing any sort of diagnostics, yeah. He's able to determine that that he's a goner and that no medicine exists that can that can help, help him. him. Yeah. Even though I mean, you've only been out here for two years. Have you encountered radiation sickness? Do you know what kind of medication no. exists? No. Yeah. Very good point. Planets? Yes. Because, I mean, Erin, whether she knows that it's possible to save him or not, she wants to try. Like, go. Mm. You go and find treatment. However, like, I don't know that there's any spacecraft that they know about at this point. While she does this. Yeah. And Besides, he, you still have to get rid of the dreadnought first. That's what she intends to do. Right. I guess she thinks, still thinks it's a bomb at this point and that, she, that it's going to be a suicide run. Right. You can talk me through it. And he says, no. Like, it's, yeah. oh, it's 50% intuition, 50% feeling. Wait, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold on. That seems like the wrong kind of balance, but okay. And she, she says that, like, she, she can't accept the possibility of him dying because, like, she has to do it because she loves him. And then he throws that back. So it's your life for everyone else's. And you're different, how? I'm different because I love you. Then you know I have to do this. And yeah, she doesn't really have an answer to that. I mean, no, there's no real thing answer to that. to ask of someone? Yeah. And, and how far Aaron's come that she's, that she's able to, to feel this and also to accept this, it's, it's incredible. Because she's accepting his, his death now. Hmm. This or at the least the high possibility she... of that. She's a soldier, though. Yeah. I don't think she's enough of a romantic at this point to, to imagine that there's, a, that there's a happy ending for them. No. Fair point. Right? So, yeah, she goes I mean, and... Unless, mu- you, oh. unless you think otherwise. No. I mean, yeah. Hard to tell. It's always hard to say with Aaron. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, judging from the way that she, like, 
stops to like compose herself when while she's setting the charges uh, to blow up uh, Farlow's lab again. I, I'm sorry. Even at this moment, when I was super overwhelmed with emotion, I saw her passing the pipes and I was going, "Oh, oh, oh you missed yeah, one." Yes, yes. I was thinking the same thing. I was, I was like, "Oh, is, is, is the pipe isn't getting one this time." It's like, <laughs> I guess very, it was still there from last very time. important pipe. No, I checked. It wasn't in there. Uh, <laughs> Trust you to look up some stranger's pipes. <laughs> John flies up into space, and the moment a new solar flare hits, comes around the corner. He doesn't still doesn't see the uh, dreadnought, by the way, which is kind of peculiar. Uh, yes. Chris has to tell him where it is. Well, I mean, he's on the Farscape 1, which is... A, yeah, I guess a, it doesn't have a little, uh, very big sensor uh, package. Right. Oh, was that Are a... Are we talking about John's package again? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were talking about, like, the size of Boyer's sensor oh, package. Oh, well, like that, so. well. <laughs> Very, very sensitive, uh, uh, a teenager center package. <laughs> Oof. R- note to self: think about whether you edit that out or or leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've left uh. it in, haven't I? Apparently, this, despite the fact that he has now uh, a wormhole like generator, still needs a flare. Yes, he was waiting for the flare to happen. Then he used this displacement engine, and he was able to create a wormhole. We've only seen them against black before, and but now, now we, we see, see them in against. front of the planet. Yes. And the, the sort of rim of the star's corona. Uh-huh. Gorgeous. Uh, and he turns on the uh, displacement engine and he starts to loop around the wormhole. Doing whatever it well, is Displacing that he does. the wormhole, I think. Like, because of what he's doing there causes the other end of the wormhole to move to the sun. Whoa. Whoa, okay. So I assume that's what, what also the technology that the ancients used to, like, the uh, wormhole travel. is like, basically manipulate the other end of the wormhole. Interesting. Oh, let me see what... what cont- I mean, that must be complicated because the Pathfinders, let me see if I remember this, said that wormholes trend toward clustering mm-hmm. and to form loops with multiple openings. Yeah. So creating a point-to-point wormhole must actually be... You, you must be fighting that trend right. to keep it from joining up with other yeah. nearby... Okay. But that's why a device called a displacement engine sounds like something that could do that. Like yeah. You displace a wormhole. And in doing so, creates a big fireball which comes like zooming out, which actually quite slowly tears up the dreadnought. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see because... It's not just the fireball that zooms out. I was able to notice this now I was watching it. There's there's still the rim of the wormhole around mm-hmm. the fireball. So it seems like, a, you know, Stark is muttering, it's touching the sun, it's touching the sun. Yeah. So it's enveloping the dreadnought in the event horizon of the wormhole mm-hmm. whose other whose other side is on the on the surface of the sun. So yeah. I think this is, touch, rather than ejecting a chunk of mass from right. the in- interior, it's introducing... The dreadnought to the skin of the of the nearby sun, and it's just evaporated. Yeah, it just goes very quickly, and then of course there's a moment of a moment of is he or isn't he? And oh, fortunately he is still alive. Okay. Well, well if we ever meet Claudia Black, yeah, I'm going to tell her that you didn't mention what an incredible job she did of acting throughout this entire episode so far. I'm going to rat on you. I mean, you. that goes with that. That's that's a given. I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've literally talked about the size of Boya's sensor package, but we're not going to talk about uh, about Claudia's fantastic performance here because she's lost John piece by piece over the course of the last few, last episode or two. Yeah. Right? She thought he died when Scorpius took over. She, she thought he was dying when, when, she, when she said goodbye to him. She thought he died when he blew up the dreadnought. 
and just to still hold it together. It's incredible. Uh, she only has Rigel for company, but even Rigel is moved. Yes. R- Rigel manages to look shocked and distraught even. Yeah. And it's time to bring to bring John aboard. Yes. I think it's Grace's quarters where they where he's been put. I mean Yes. Like unless the guest quarters have grown in yet, but yeah. that it's quite a thing for for Grace to give his, his quarters for John to die in and be in comfort. Yes. Uh he's the first of them to go and speak to him after Aaron like moves aside and, and, and gives the okay. Yes. Uh thanking him for uh, what he's done. He calls him commander. Yeah. But John calls him Grace. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, admonishes him or implores him to find the better part of himself uh, and take care of them. I suppose with them he means Aaron and Rigel or Talon or them, and Moya everybody. And yeah. like everybody that he cares about. Like he doesn't need to specify that. Um, Chris assures him that he will. And I hope you be- can believe that. Yeah. Which... I mean, that, that goes back to them having a lot of, well, animosity between them. And yeah, and the lack the f- of trust. Yes, especially that. I mean, that was brilliant, like the opening shot of the other uh, oh, two-parter yeah. we had, <laughs> where Chris was like, you really think that's how it happened? That's still a one-parter, bud. Was it a one-parter? Man, your, no. your experience of this, episode, of this season is all over the place. Yes, because so far it's always been one episode on Moya, one episode on Talon. Back and forth. One, one, oh, it was just other. like, sorry, but it was just referring to the effects on the, uh, sorry, yeah, it yeah, was a yeah, one-parter. Yeah. It was just referring to the uh, the ending of the other episode. That's why yeah, I think that That's was, why my brain kind of connected those two episodes, or at least those two events. It's a good season, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because it does that to you. It really is. Rigel's the next to, uh, to go up. He's got, uh, he's got bandages around his, uh, around his middle. Oh, it's bandages. I thought he was just like wearing one of those sashes that you get on a nice... around a kimono. Oh, okay. I was thinking cummerbund. I mean, it's a good oh, look. Oh, right. Yeah, it is. It, it really works. Hey, Sparky. They say it's not good. Sparky, come here. My stuff. You can't have it. (laughs) (laughs) Still since the first season. No, you still can't have Have my stuff. Yes. (laughs) Which Rigel accepts in good grace. Yeah. He's still going to try and steal it, but... Of course. Yeah. But he... He says his goodbyes in such a Rigel way, it's going to be hard not to think of you. Like, he's going to try his very best. I'm going to put you out of my mind, but it'll be difficult. Yes. Rigel, bless uh, then, then John seems to have a bit of an episode for which Stark gets called in to uh, do his thing. This is the first time that he's actually helped someone pass over. Well, there was... Uh, since Jelena, since in, uh, uh, at the end of season one. Oh, I was going to say, uh, there was, uh, what's her name in the, uh, the Siren Sierna, Star? She was already dead. She was already dead, but he did, did help her pass on. Mm, that's fair. Yes, I'll yeah. accept it. But uh, yes, we get him to see do his thing, and uh, that is apparently all that they have to uh, do. Although when Stark tries to pull his hand away, John holds him back. And, just a little uh, more. Just, just a little, yeah. And he gives it. I thought that was such a it such was. a beautiful moment because he doesn't have to ask for it. Of course, Stark yeah. will 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 ease him just a little bit more, so John can be at peace. And you see his face relax, like his whole body is relaxed. He's just lying there, staring ahead. Um, in the in the process of dying. Yes, he is like moments from death at this point, and uh, he and uh, Aaron get to say their own goodbyes. 
he talks about how lucky he is, which is a really a wonderful thing to to, to, to leave Aaron with. Yeah. And I am choking up here a little bit because it's been a while since I've seen this episode. Mm. Just the performances are are magnificent. Um, that it's a that it's a lucky or an unambitious man who gets to die when he's ready. Yeah, and like Scorpius is gone, his friends are safe. He knew how to get home. Yes, and Aaron was with him, and she would have gone with him. And uh, yeah, he doesn't get to have that, but uh... he says his regrets, and she wants him not to like don't don't be sorry. I yeah. don't want you to go that way. Yes. Right, she's she's accepted that he's he's dying. Oh, good gravy! Uh, maybe you take it over. You can get through this in a sort of detached fashion. <laughs> well, actually, I'm, just... I'm getting I'm I'm getting a little bit uh, oh. moist around the eyes. I'm 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 a, li- I'm, I'm a little bit like uh, oh. uh, Crace was when he was like uh, at the end of things with his like swollen red eyes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes. Okay. The previous scene when Crace was standing there like squinting, like he had like a case of pink eye or whatever it is. Yeah, hay fever season, right? Oh yeah. No, it's. This is just uh, Ian. Um, ooh, Ian Taylor, Ian Watson. I think that's the name of the director. Um, was immensely proud of this this scene. Like he talked mm. about, particularly yeah. the ending uh, was the finest television that he's ever directed. And it's all down to to uh, Ben Browder and Claudia Black. And like even Ben Browder made the choice to die with his eyes open, mm. which Ian Watson said. Are you sure? Because I'm going to want to cut back to you and a few times. Yeah. I noticed one little eyelid wobble at, uh, after he was supposed to be dead at one point, but that's... No, uh... you didn't. Don't you take this away from anyone else. <laughs> Nobody check it out. He's wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> but a... no, the part that got to me the most was how Aaron uh, pulls a blanket up and cuddles up with him. Oh, after my God, he, yes. That's the, yeah, that got me a little bit... Uh... Me too. God, I was... So... And... It just ends there. Yeah. And it just leaves us like yes, this. Indeed. And it goes to oh, credits. Yeah, see, no, 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 I have to like wipe oh, a tear from my buddy, eye. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely like no 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 joke at all. Like I'm genuinely I'm I'm delighted that I can share this with you. Yeah. Because this is We haven't had a good dramatic Farscape episode ending like this. We had a lot of these, you know, where they ended up on a down note. Uh, yeah. and they're, they're like this is as like about as strong as it gets in that regard. Yeah. You're, you're right. Despite is... the fact that we know we have a spare John at home. <laughs> I just keep telling myself. It's the only way to get it. It's a coping it. mechanism, okay? Don't yeah. judge me. I don't judge you I know, at I'm all. Just, um, I'm just... I mean, when I watched this the first time, I was on my own. Oh. Right? I think I was, uh, I, was, I was living at my dad's university, but he was never there. And that was great for a young student. Yes. But yeah, to just sit there sobbing. And I think I was downloading it at the time on, in front of a... 14 inch CRT monitor. Yeah. It's 640 really, by 480. It's really, really cut. No, it's a 1024 by 768. It was SVGA. Oh. These were just- no, I mean, I'm talking about the download. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That was abysmal. 352 by oh, 480. Wow, even worse, yeah. Yeah, video CD, man. Oh, yeah. This was back in the days. I'm also doing the copy mechanism, talking about some, some nerd shit. Yeah. Where, like, Video files were so much larger and so much lower quality than they are now when we have, you know, higher resolution screens and better downloads. Yeah. So, should we do some bullshit? She gives me a Woody. She gives you the Willies. Oh. <laughs> Damn. So, where to start? Where to start? Oh. Uh, okay. Mean, My Woody is actually going to go. I'm going to, I'm going to make this easier for you. Yeah. Go, I'm going to go first because you always go first. And that okay. makes it easy on me. My Woody is going to go to the, the wormhole. I've okay. always loved the way that effect looks. This 
this sort of vortex, this swirl of water, and to see that like against a planet and against a sun and 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 those interactions, mm. it was a marvel of of physics that I was just absolutely enraptured with. Willie is tougher, actually. No, it's going to go to furlough for breaking uh, my heart. Yeah, that was going to be mine as well. <laughs> she can take two. Will- Whoa! No, hold on. I didn't mean that. She, I mean, can- mean- <laughs> she deserves. Nope. No, nope. no. Let's just go. But yes, it's like furlough is like two. I mean, there's being callous and entrepreneurial, and then there's being this kind of bullshit when she yeah. when you know that it's like going to cause mass destruction, war, uh, and whatnot, and your only thought is, how can I profit from this best? That's Yes. But then again, maybe it's on us, because this woman, like, she's been tortured by these, uh, by these chariots. Which, she's, which she was still willing to work with them. Yeah, uh. which shows that when we met her, and we saw her as this fun, crotchety mechanic, she was already an emotionally scarred, hardened uh, yeah. survivor. And that's True. still what she is. She'd probably killed before at that point. Oh, yes. Because you don't just do that your first time and... No, no, you don't. Yeah, well, you don't tend to shoot someone in the back, I suppose. I mean, like... Well, yeah, it it's is the easy, safest easy, way. Easy, yeah, it is. And you don't have to look them in the eye while you're doing it. So Ugh. it's like that, that to be said about that as well. Uh so, oh God! Yeah. There's so much. Okay, that's uh, worthy. You've got the you've got the dune buggy chase. You've got geez. the incredible performances. Claudia, yeah, I was going to say Claudia Black's performance probably gets mine. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Uh, she's she's an amazing actress, and yeah, this really shows it off. If we ever do get to meet her, I'll tell you you said so, <laughs> and that you were as 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 weepy eyed as as I am. I was just my. It just took my armor a little bit longer to break down. Yeah. It's. <laughs> I'm 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 really glad that you trust me and your listeners with this, and that we could share this together because this was heavy for a lot of us. Yes, it was not exactly. I mean, there was a f- fun-filled. I mean, the but the buggy chase was the fun-filled part of this episode. It was great, right? It was amazing. Originally, that was going to be with like space fighters in the script. Uh huh. But Ian Watson once again, like just like the sort of confrontation between John and Harvey was supposed to be on a river. And he said, eh, no, yeah. that's boring. Uh, let's put it in a fun fair. Like he wanted this to be grounded as well. Yeah. And, like, instead of having a space chase, which was almost the title of this show, by the way. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Let's have that on the ground and let's get some fun. Let's just redneck around. Yeah. The problem with the, having a space chase would be that it would have to be CGI'd, intercut with shots of in, inside cockpits. And it's a much less interactive experience it would have been than uh, the way they yes. have it now. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of impressive how those space chases in the past have been made to look exciting. Even, right. Even though, like, I've seen a photo of the shot of the, like, the cockpit. The cockpit has a, has a canopy that's, they're basically sitting on a, on a chair carved out of wood. It's a, it's a big wooden block. Okay. Where all the, the, the chair is set into. The front is completely open. Their legs are out in the open. And there's, like, a, a bit of a canopy hanging over. Over them, just enough to. And there's to... a fixed camera. Yeah. Yeah. And then the rest is all lights and them choosing to shake because the thing doesn't shake. It's oh, so nobody, there's nobody standing there shaking the... No, okay. I guess not. Okay, let's see. Okay, but see. you need a willy still. Oh. Uh, yeah, you gave the, the dune buggies, got your woody. Didn't I say whatever? Uh, oh, oh, name, oh, right, no, Claudia we, we, Black got your, fur- got your woody. Yes, yeah, so the furlough. I mean, I was going to woody, a willy furlough as well. Unconventional uh, move, just double willies for furlough. <laughs> but, uh, yes. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well... What a what a rush, but yeah. hey guys, oh. that's the story so far, Scape. 
Join us next week for episode 316, Revenging Angel. With Crichton in a coma, we take a look inside his Looney Tune mind. Also, maybe he's not dead. Maybe he's just in a coma. Maybe that next time they... Other John. Spare John. Probably. I wasn't thinking. No. (laughs) Yes, well... We're looking forward to you joining us again. Next week, of course, will be uh, another fanfic. Oh, I I don't know what we've chosen yet. That's going to be interesting to discover. If you want to help us with submitting and suggesting any fanfiction that you know about, somewhere up to about 5,000 words, we'd really love some more fan suggestions. Or you have a synopsis for an upcoming episode. We still need them. Keep them coming. Or you want to contribute to keeping the lights on here at the So Farscape Studios, where we're turning the lights down a little bit so that nobody can see the reds around our eyes. You can find all those links at soulfarscape.com slash links uh, and thank you for joining us on this on this magnificent adventure I'm Kaki I'm Kay Soulfarscape so, so, so good, good.